Hello, hello, and what is up, teachers? Hope everyone's well. Today we have a very special guest. Michael Childs is an assistant principal. He's also the, the author of several books on questioning and assessment, including Powerful Questioning, The Craft of Assessment, and The Feedback Pendulum. Today, Michael's going to give us five tips on good questioning. How are you today, Michael? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, thank you for inviting me, and it's, it's good to be here. It's good to share... A few tips on questioning. Yeah, from the man himself. And Michael is somebody I like to call the go-to for all things questioning. If you follow him on Twitter, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. He, his, uh, the link and the the handle can all be found at the in the bio below. So what's your first tip for us today, Michael? I would say my first tip is around <clears throat> the idea of sequencing questions. And I think that's really important in the classroom moving from low to, to higher order questions. I think that's really, really key in, in our delivery of questions. And I think that sort of links to the idea that actually, when we're trying to deliver questions in a sequence, we want to ensure that we start off with some low sort of like recall questions to get a bit of a bit of an idea of where our students are at, what they know, that sort of base knowledge and once we've done that, we can then start moving to a, a more deeper level um, sort of um, process of questioning. And I think if we move too quick to that deeper level question, if we start asking questions about why or how or <clears throat> evaluate, some of those straight away could lead to students switching off from wanting to answer questions. So my first tip would be, Whenever you're teaching anything, especially something new, some new novel information, start with some really sort of low recall questions to get a bit of an idea, diagnose what they know, and then you can go from there. And I think that would be my first tip. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's definitely a good tip because you can't really build <clears throat> on something. You can't really ask a, a higher order question if, if you haven't established prior knowledge. So it's all about getting that first and then building upon that. And that kind of makes more sense in the in the kids' minds as well, doesn't it? So this, this, and this. So I'm just thinking how I would apply it to science, for example, um, when we're doing, um, oh, I don't want to get into a complicated topic, but there's simple stuff which you have to know before you know the more complicated stuff. Um, and I think particularly new teachers, a lot of the time they assume that kids remember stuff from previous years. And as you get more experience, you learn that actually they've forgotten or they didn't learn it properly the first time, whatever it might be. Um, so it's always essential to kind of establish that prior knowledge. I couldn't agree more. So what is your second tip for us today? I would say the second tip is around the idea of how you give time for thinking. <clears throat> and I think thinking is something that's invisible. We don't mm. see it in the classroom. We don't see students thinking and actually we, we don't know what they're thinking and that's that's the whole idea that we ask questions because ultimately i see it as question if we don't ask questions to students we're left in the dark about what they know and i think it's really important that we do question them because if we don't do that we're sort of like floating in the dark and um equally i think that giving that thinking allowing them to think needs to be purposeful and therefore, I think that we need to actually take time when we're um, pausing with questions to allow that space and we need to front load it. So we actually give them a nudge and say, 
Um, I want you to have a think about this question. Um, it's going to be a challenge one, but I want you to have a think before you answer. And front loading with those prompts, those small little prompts can actually be really powerful. And by doing that, it actually forces them to think. And if we do that in a way that is purposeful, but also in a way that invites them to actually have that thinking process, I think that means they're going to be a lot more of a meaningful response. A lot of the research out there, and Doug Lamov talks about it as well, how often um, teachers ask questions and, and it's straight away within like one and a half seconds an answer comes through and mm -hmm. all expecting an answer to come through. And it's because we as teachers, I think, get nervous when it's quiet in the classroom. And I think we need to allow that. We need to allow that pause, that thinking time. And we need to be purposeful with it so we actually narrate it and get students to do it yeah no absolutely I can, I can totally relate um i mean when i was a new teacher at least and new teachers probably probably could relate you're almost too scared to get them to pause because you you might slow down the pace of your lesson or you think oh they're going to mess around if i make them pause so there's this need to kind of keep things going um because you might think it's going to slow down your pace, but actually, if, if done correctly, it will not slow down your pace. Mm -hmm. It will maintain pace, if anything. Would you recommend giving, say, 30 seconds think time and having it on the timer? Or would you just say, OK, I want you to think about this and then you just ask at a, t at a suitable time? What, what do you think of think time, quantifiable think time? Just a question off the back of that. I think from that first tip of sequencing questions from low to higher order to build and layer knowledge, I think it would depend on what you're asking what type of question you're asking and sometimes I'll I'll use my watch and sometimes yeah. I think right actually I'm going to say right this question is quite a challenging one so actually I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a minute to think because do you know mm -hmm. what you're going to need a minute to think about yeah. it you're going to need to process it actually by doing that it means you get your response is going to be more meaningful um or I might say right this is a this is a quick, quick recall question because I know you know this really well. Yeah. We did this last lesson, so I'm going to give you 30 seconds. 30 seconds, yeah, yeah. So it's all proportionate to what you're asking them. No, that makes sense. I think so, yeah. Of course, no. <clears throat> um, so what is your third tip for us today? So my third tip would be mixing the techniques that teachers use. And I've seen this a lot when I've been doing observations recently where we see a sort of strategy like cold calling or no hands up or mm -hmm. we see strategies like um pause bounce or pause pose bounce yeah, um, yeah. we see all those different strategies uh whiteboards but actually it becomes quite um isolated and it becomes quite um robotic in its use sometimes i think and i think actually the fluidity of different strategies through a sequence would actually be more more beneficial and i've seen some teachers do it really well where for example okay i'm going to narrate it i'm going to give you 30 seconds for this question i don't want any hands up for this one i'm going to come to some people i want you to be ready for it quick low tariff question next they might do a question later on unless they might say right for this question actually i want all your hands up for this one and okay. um, I know you know this. So when when I asked you the question, 
yes, you're going to, I want you to still think about it. As soon as you've got an answer, put your hand up. And that's where sometimes actually that think time can be a minute because I want to give them time to think about it. And in that space, I might give them a, a bit of a clue as well, especially if it's a question that <clears throat> requires more sort of cognitive demand, a deeper level thinking. Or I might say, right, OK, <clears throat> we're going to do this corally. So whatever, the, I'll pose the question to them, right, when I count down, three, two, one, I want you to all shout the answer out. And I think mixing that up in a lesson rather than having a, sometimes I think I see some schools where they have a policy of no hands up. Everyone yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say every school has that and has mm. done for a long time. But you're yeah. saying change it up a bit. I mean, I can see that would keep kids on their toes in a good way a bit yeah. more. And, and it leads to more effective questioning, ultimately, doesn't it? Because it's challenging the brain in different ways. I think so. And I think yeah. it takes time to, to master those strategies, I think, but confidence in terms of user practitioner and trialing them and building that culture, I think that that's, that actually helps really well. Yeah, absolutely. So what is your fourth tip for us today? <clears throat> I think culture, culture of the question. Oh, I think, that's interesting. I haven't heard that phrase. Yeah, I think sometimes we assume that um, students want to answer a question sometimes, or we assume mm. that um, questioning is just just the part and parcel of a lesson. And all the research out that I've read shows that actually quite a large percentage of lessons, 40% of lessons are in that question response mode. But actually, do we give consideration to that culture of asking those questions? Because I think if we don't, they fall apart and then they actually become the opposite of what they need to be, which is a tool to get students to think and for teachers to be able to diagnose where students are at in that checking for understanding part of the teaching process. So I think culture for questions is really important. And I, I talk about this idea of a question lag and sometimes that lag will look different depending upon the students you've got in front of you. So I think building the right culture by knowing your students in the classroom, by knowing their different um, sort of needs, by knowing their different um, sort of personalities, the way in which they um, respond, I think it's really important because sometimes you can start asking questions right at the beginning of the year, you don't know the students. Mm -hmm. And if you go for, let's say, for example, a teacher goes for, it's no hands up, I'm just going to cold call. Mm -hmm. Then you've got a student that's really, really nervous, genuinely nervous, and, yeah. and just struggles with that. You'll just switch them off straight away, and you could actually get them in in a slightly different way. But unless you know that, unless you build that right culture, then you quickly get answers. You get those non-explanatory answers that the research said, which is the classic, I don't know. Okay. so. Is culture then about knowing your students and knowing how best to question your individual students? Am, am I right? Have I understood that correctly? Yeah, I think so. Um, I take a year seven group that I teach at the minute. They absolutely love the choral yeah. response. They love it. But some they, love, they love what, sorry? The choral response, like giving a choral response, saying it all together. They absolutely okay, yeah. they thrive off it. But... Yeah. <clears throat> You could get a scenario where some students don't want to do it because they're too too worried about getting it wrong. And I think unless you front load it over the course of a year and you build a culture where it's safe to make a mistake, where oh. 
it's it's fine because they're not going to get ridiculed by their peers. I think there was research out there that I read that actually peer to peer pressure is probably more influential in the classroom than than teacher to peer. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the relationships come in as well, teacher student. <laughs> what is what is your final tip for us today? I would say my final tip is perseverance mm -hmm. around your use of questioning. And I think that without that perseverance, without that determination to practice strategies, I think quickly teachers can go from, as I said, almost like from a merry-go-round of one strategy to the other. But actually, I think if you piece all the, those tips together that, that we've just talked about, you sequence the questions in a lesson or over time. Mm -hmm. You give the right amount of pause uh, between asking questions depending upon the cognitive demand. You you front load it all. You uh, mix the strategies up. I think all of those do take time. So I think perseverance with question is crucial because one of the things the research says is is that all too often the questions that we ask as teachers don't actually don't actually get students to think that thinking doesn't happen mm -hmm. and so to get it right and that perseverance I would say the final tip is to plan questions and plan I think that's something yeah and I think that's something that even like I mean you and I have been teaching as we said it's before we logged in 16 17 years but I still plan my questions I still decide what I'm going to ask or what yeah, the best yeah. question is to ask because if I don't then you could end up not asking the right questions and and that's not what you want because if you're spending four if we're spending 40 percent of our time asking questions in the classroom mm -hmm. why are we not investing a similar amount of time in in the types of questions we ask and and that's why i talk about in the book the principle of presenting and framing questions because actually sometimes <clears throat> you don't we don't deliver questions pitched rightly in the right yeah. way and when we don't do that, we don't prompt the right level of thinking and then it all starts crumbling down and then yeah, yeah, no, that's that's critical. No, it makes perfect sense to plan your questioning. Because um, obviously uh, trainee teachers would do that because they, they kind of have to. New teachers would probably do that. But there's no harm in us experienced teachers, you know, just make, just refining it that little bit more and having three key, three key questions or whatever in our mind that we know we're going to ask. Thank you yeah. so much for this today, Michael. I really, really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to have you on. No, thank you for inviting me on. And, and I hope the few tips are helpful. Um, a few little ideas and examples that that might work and, and try. And it'd be good to hear people who have trialled them, really, and um, give a bit of feedback. It's always good to get feedback. Uh, definitely. Thank you so much. You can follow Michael Charles. All of his details are going to be in the in the bio below. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.